I like how Steve is doing the branding. I got a little neighborhood covered in the office. Uh, okay. That's all good. Uh, Did you get started? It's recording. Oh, you get started? It's recording? Yeah. All right. Um, but you can cut it up, right? We could start, we could cut it, and if we make some mistakes and whatnot, Sid? Yeah. Okay, good. So I'm going to start. One, two, three. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> hey, everybody. John Muhammad, Senior Loan Officer and Home Advisor uh, with Neighborhood Loans, here to talk about real estate in the current market environment we're in. Uh, here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I want to take a moment and introduce some of my uh, guests today. On my left here is Mr. Cameron Hartsfield. Um, Cameron's a, a, a loan officer who started in the business within the last couple of years, um, looking to purchase a home soon, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. To my right is my homeboy, my buddy. We've been doing business together for years we've helped put a lot of folks into homes he is a realtor and a broker owner mr stephen thomas of refine realty and uh on my far right here is mr dominique long dominique is uh, also a new loan officer he's a TikToker. he's a fantastic guy he'll be talking to us about some things he's experiencing uh in this environment mr dominique long all right so, uh, Cam, I'm going to start with you. What, what, what's your thoughts? What's your questions about what's happening right now? Well, right now, um, you know, we're seeing a higher interest rates than we have in the past. So a lot of buyers are kind of thinking, like, is it really the best time to buy? Um, you know, for me, I'm not a homeowner just yet, but I'm walking into that and I'm starting to see little indicators as to you know what is you know what to look at when it is the best time to buy. Mm -hmm. so like my question is like what are the different types of loan types and how do you know which type of loan is best for you yeah i think that's a a great question you know uh people are asking right now is it a good time to buy because of how high interest rates are um my answer to that is it's always a good time to buy mm -hmm. it is always a good time to buy Earlier this year in the first quarter and all of last year, the deal was if you wanted to buy a house, you had to uh, be going, you had to have a conventional loan, right? Conventional loans are going to be for people who are really well qualified. Um, you know, there's FHA, 67% of America uses FHA when they buy a home for the first time. But you had to go FHA a year ago. I mean, excuse me, you had to go conventional. Um, you had to offer more than what the houses were costing. So if you wanted to buy a $350,000 house, um, you know, you had to offer 380, you had to offer 400, and you were in multiple offer situations. It was truly a seller's market. What I see now with the higher rates is that if you want to be a homeowner, you can think about whether or not you want to buy. You can offer less than what the list price is. You can ask the seller to pay closing costs. You couldn't have done that earlier this year. So it's always a good time to buy. Steve, as from a realtor perspective, what do you think? Absolutely night and day from last year. Um, going into my listings last year, I mean, we had, I think the highest one that I had was 40000 over asking price um, with seven different offers. Um, 
all of last year, I did about two to three listings last year, and every one of them sold over asking price. Wow. Never sold anything under asking price, and actually looked at offers at asking price <laughs> with our nose up, man. <laughs> so it, it was crazy um, last year, and even going to the early part of, of, of this year, uh, but then going in around mid-summer is when we start seeing that switch over in the shifting in the market, where as of right now, I have sellers that are willing to give closing costs. Where um, have had done uh, several price um, reductions or improvements uh, is a new cool word to say now. Um, what was it? What was the word? What's the new word? Price improvement. Price improvements. Okay, <laughs> yes. I like it. <laughs> yes, that, that's the cool word now instead of price reduction. But yeah, it, it's. I mean, it's absolutely night and day from from trying to get into a house last year. This year, yes, interest rates are up, um, and that is a factor, but the barrier to get the deal done is gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dom, are rents up? <laughs> rent, yeah, rent, rent is up as well. Rent is up as well. I was reading an article the other day that, uh, you know, it's just saying rent's up over 10%, um, and, you know, that's just the biggest increase within a year's time frame, you know, at least I was reading an article, what it was saying, um, you know, in a while. So, uh you know, rent's going up as well, so I mean, it, it kind of just follows the interest rates, you know, in my opinion, um, you know, working its way up. But I would say you guys hit it on the head night and day. Since I've been at Prime Lending, I would say it's a, you know, it's a shock to see how high interest rates were. You know, when I came into the business, you know, um, interest rates were around, you know, 3%, 4%, and I was like, man, this is sweet. Like, you know, great job. I'm going to be able to help out a whole bunch of people, get a whole bunch of people in homes, and you know, it just flipped on me. Uh, I would say it was about six months of it being sweet, and then next thing you know, interest rates rise. But, uh, you know, don't let interest rates deter you from buying because, you know, if it's the right time for you, interest rates are going to go up and down. You'll have your chance to grab your, you know, 4% rate. But, um, you know, that's kind of how, you know, I feel. Like how you see it. Yeah. Um, I've owned three homes now in my lifetime. Um, the last house uh, that I bought, I bought it in 2018. As an employee of a mortgage company, I, my employee rate was about 5.875. And I thought at that time, uh, I was like, man, eh, that's kind of high, but I did it. But guess what? I don't even want to mention how low my rate is right now. <laughs> it's low, like it's, it's, incredibly low and I've refinanced twice since 2018 and my mortgage payment has went down right how I never known you guys have rented recently has your rent ever went down the landlord ever sends you a note to say never your rent's low lower <laughs> So, so it is. Uh, I, it's always a great time to buy. You know, cam. You know, products that are out there. There's so much, right? There's the traditional. Uh, means which is conventional and FHA and USDA and VA. Um, conventional loans are always going to be for people who are well qualified. There's a, a myth out there that you need 20% down when buying a house. Y'all ever heard that? Yep, all the time. 20% down. Conventional actually has a um, um, feature that allows a first time home buyer to put down 3%. Mm. 3%. And then for those of you um, 
you know, I, what do I call us, Gen Xers? I'm a Gen Xer, right? Yeah, I'm Gen X. Yeah, I'm Gen X. Y'all are? Millennials. Millennials. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you know, when I look out on TikTok and things like that, people are talking about house hacks and things like that. Well, under conventional, do you know you can buy a multi-unit property and still put down like 3 or 5%? Most people don't know that. Yeah. So, like, that brings me to the question, like, so what are all the costs when it comes to buying like, a home? Like, right. That's a great question. You, you're going to have a down payment, right? That can be 3%. It could be 3.5%. Um, if you're a veteran, it's 100%. There's no down payment required. Uh, I always talk about USDA loans. We don't really talk a lot about that, but, you know, we think of USDA. I think of meat. I think of chicken <laughs> and beef. But under uh, USDA, if you want to live in a rural area, you can actually do 100% financing. So you have your down payment and you have closing costs, right? And so I think in today's market, you look at closing costs as being around 3 to 3.5% three of your uh, purchase price is typically what it works out to be. And so um, the one thing that always has to happen is that you as a buyer have to put down your down payment. Cool thing is you can get a family member to give you a gift. You can use your uh, 401k. Um, you could use money that you saved in the bank. But I'll tell you one thing, don't use money that you saved under your mattress, right? <laughs> Can't do it. You've got to save your money in a bank. It's got to be verifiable. So, uh, you know, your down payment comes from you or from your family. The closing cost can actually be paid by sellers. Mm -hmm. And uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be paid by you. But, uh, but certainly those are the components that it takes, um, you know, to purchase a house. Okay. Okay, so Stephen, like, from your perspective, um, you know, dealing with listings, how often do you see sellers paying for closing costs in this market? It absolutely have to do with what, what, we, what market we in. You're here either buyer market or seller market. So if we're talking about the environment that we're in right now, I truly believe that we're in a buyer's market, meaning that the buyers have most leverage in the negotiation. So you can go in to a, a listing that's at 300 and maybe negotiate the price down because listings are staying on longer and longer. And sellers got to sell because either they're trying to buy a new house or need to make a move. So the motivation is stronger because they don't want to stay on the market as long, right? So you have a little bit more negotiation power there. Or if you don't want to do a price reduction, you can always ask closing costs or seller concessions, what we call it in on the realtor side. So the seller, depending on which loan, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, uh, which loan that we go to, they can give anywhere from 3 to 6% Yes. of your closing costs or the price of the house towards your closing costs. Correct. So in a lot of cases, um, and even right now, I've had a couple of my sellers give up to $10,000 uh, towards uh, in seller concession towards the buyer to get the deal done. So I've got a, a quick question I want to ask you guys. So with um, how the market is, you know, a lot of sellers are giving away concessions, you know, negotiating to have the sales price lower. In you guys' opinion, what is more favorable for the buyer to take that, you know, um, seller concession or to actually, you know, lower the actual sales price of the home? I, I give my opinion. Uh -huh. And I always have this conversation with my buyers. For me, it's seller concession source closing costs. Because yes. that's dollar for dollar. That is actual money that you can 
touch and, and bring to you. So basically what how it works, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, um, if my seller is giving $10,000 to the buyer, that is actually $10,000 less that they have to bring to the closing table. That's $10,000 that they get to keep in their bank account to do whatever with it, whatever it is, if it's repairing repairing things in the house or getting furniture, whatever you want to do, that means if you got to bring 20000 in the beginning and my seller gives you 10000 not only you bring this 10000 to the closing table. Yeah. So for me, it's always seller concession. Absolutely. And that's the way people should be looking at it. Um, 10000 off the purchase price? Remember, you're financing over 30 years. So taking $10,000 off the purchase price doesn't have the impact of 10000 cash. Um, and so you always, if you're negotiating, you want that to come off of the closing costs or get it as a seller contribution. But keep in mind what um, Stephen mentioned just a few minutes ago, which is that uh, you have some caps. So if you're doing a conventional loan and you're putting down less than 10%, you're capped at a 3% seller contribution. But if you're doing a government loan, which is FHA, VA, USDA, is typically typically going to be six percent seller contribution, which can be huge. Your whole, uh, um, you know, closing costs can be paid. Yeah. I closed the loan for a client yesterday, guys. This is the honest to God truth, and to happen in this market is incredible. We were able to use a down payment assistance program offered here in the state uh, that gave this buyer four percent of his. Um, loan amount as a grant. So it covered his three and a half percent down payment. And his realtor negotiated $10,000 in closing costs. This guy got back his $3,000 earnest money. He just bought a home yesterday and closed and got his earnest money back. Well, yeah, we did that two years yes, ago. Yes, we used to do it all the time, yeah, right? Yeah, but we, we had a client, same thing. It was a veteran, I believe. Yes. And um, bought his house. Um, and I believe we got, what, two, $2,000 back. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. At, at so it's absolutely doable. Yeah. Cool. So, so if you're getting money, so like, what are the stipulations when using down payment assistance? Like, how how does someone get money back at closing? At closing, right? So, Cam, I think that's a great question. Here, this is my belief about down payment assistance and all of that. It's good if you qualify for it, if you need it, but uh, to think that you can buy a house with no money. Not, not, it's just it's just not true, right? Um, Steve, would you ever accept an offer or tell your client to accept an offer with somebody paying $100 earnest money? Absolutely. <laughs> right? So no matter what you do, earnest money is typically 1% of the uh, purchase price of the house. You've got to put some money up to say to the seller, you're serious about buying their house. So you put up your earnest money. And you put up option money, which gives you the ability to back out of a contract within a set period of time. You got to get the house inspected. You got to pay for an appraisal. Very easily, you're going to need at least $3,000 right. in today's market. There's just no way around. I don't care what program you use, right? But if you put that money in and then you have assistance for your down payment, in the case of the client I'm speaking of yesterday, we were able to get him a program that gave him his whole down payment and the seller gave him 10000 towards closing costs. So his all-in investment had been met and he was able to get the earnest money back, right? And so that's how it works. Um, 
and and it, it comes and goes. These things are right now. When I look at down payment assistance, it's really not out there right now. I'm I'm helping someone use a down payment assistance program, and and right now they're going to get two percent towards the three and a half percent required down. Again, if you need it, great. If you don't, it's best not to use it. So could you kind of expand what are some of those cons that you would say about down payment assistance that, you know, the reasons why it's better to, you know, I guess, go ahead if you can afford your closing costs and afford your down payment, go ahead and do it that way versus right. down payment assistance. You don't want to be encumbered by rules. And so when down payment providers are giving you money, they want to make sure you're using it towards the purchase of a home. Uh, your primary home, right? They're not going to give you money to be an investor. They want to make sure you're going to live in that home, you're going to use it as your primary. So they put a lien, another mortgage against the property that says that you got to live in it for a set period of time. It's either going to be three years or it's going to be for the life of the loan. So whenever you want to sell or refinance it, um, you're either going to have to repay that money uh, or if you haven't lived in it for three years, you're going to have to give that money back. The great thing is they never charge you interest. They don't give you, they don't charge penalties, but they're going to cap it. And typically the rates are higher than market. So what I think that, you know, you, you should know as a buyer is that there are different types of down payment, right, assistance. There's the statewide programs that we use here in Texas, TDHCA, Texas Department of Housing and Community Affairs. There's SEP, Southeast Texas Home Ownership. Um, there's TSHAC, Texas State Affordable Housing Corporation. These are statewide programs that don't limit you to where you can live. Uh, TSHAC doesn't have a purchase price limit. Steve, you know you can buy a house at $120,000 in income per year and use down payment assistance. That is awesome. But then there's the local program, City of Arlington, City of Dallas, Dallas County, Fort Worth, DeSoto. Louisville, DeSoto. All these cities have uh, programs, and those are going to limit you to live where they're giving you the assistance. You can't use Arlington's money in DeSoto, right? So those are going to limit you. Um, and, uh, you know, I think they're great programs for the right buyer. But if I'm buying a home and I've got my own money saved, I don't want to be restricted to where I live, the purchase price of the home that I want to buy, and I want to be able to refinance when I, when I see fit. Because our belief right now is that if you're buying a home in this current year, we're in the month of October of, uh, of 2022, you know, all the experts are saying rates are going to drop in a year. So you want to be ready to refinance. So when it comes to different types of you know terms out there when buying a house, like you have your 30-year mortgage, you have like your 15 years, do rates kind of change with the term of the of the contract or the loan? Yeah, certainly rates um, are better. 15-year rates are better, but it's harder to qualify in today's market, right? Um, you know, we serve mainly. You know, we serve a lot of folks who who can't afford a 15-year mortgage right now, and quite frankly, the stats show. Um, five to seven years, everybody's going to sell or refinance. When um, I was a kid, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit older, so I said I'm a Gen Xer. My grandmother is still living in the home that she and my grandfather purchased in 1957. She still lives in that very same house. My mother, um, I think, has owned 
three houses in her lifetime. She's 71 or so. Um, and then, like I said, I've, I've owned three homes. Most people are not going to stay in your house forever. And so why do a 15-year mortgage is my opinion when ultimately you're going to end up selling or refinancing it. So, you know, it depends on what your goals are. Some people, if you find that forever house, right, then um, uh, I think that, you know, you may want to look at it if you can afford it, but it, it makes your mortgage more expensive. You're going to get a better interest rate, but you're going to have a higher payment. See, what do you say about forever houses? <laughs> when people ask you, like, about their, for, you know, they, they're looking for their forever house. I'll tell you a story. I got one client right now. Uh, since I moved back, I've been back to Dallas in five years. Um, and he was my one of my first clients when I moved back. We have bought and sold five houses since I've been back. Wow. He's one of those guys that, not I'm just call him impulsive, but, you know, he'll buy a home and, like, in that last situation, bought a home, didn't like his neighbor. So we wow. sold it. So we bought it literally 18, 18 months ago. Um, he's on there. He, he couldn't get along with his neighbor, so we sold it. He's moved in to an, an apartment. He's like, I'm done buying a house. Give me an apartment. I got him, got him wow. an apartment. He called me a week ago. I was like, okay, I can't deal with this apartment anymore. Let's go look for a house. <laughs> so we're back to looking for a house. It's going to be my sixth house with him in less than six years. Wow. So I never... When I'm talking to my clients, I always have that conversation. Uh -huh. The likelihood of you staying in this house 30 years is very minimal because so many things come up with, you know, as small as, you know, not getting along with your neighbor or, you know, the family growing, family shrinking, you know, job change, uh, hey, then you have to move. Things like that come up all the time where you have to move all the time. Like, like you said, yeah. you're, you're in your third house, I'm on my fourth house. Um, and, you know, I've had a couple of houses in Houston. I was going to stay in Houston for a while, end up coming back home. Now I'm here in Dallas. Thought we're going to be in the house that we're going to be in. My wife already is talking about trying to move. So, you know, we, yeah, staying in, in, in the house for 30 years is just is not It's, it's not practical. Anymore. Just to think that you could even get your dream house right now. Get mm -hmm. start in the house. You know, get get a house. I don't think anybody lives in their dream apartment. I've never heard anybody go, yeah, I'm looking for my dream apartment. Like, you got to get in. I would tell y'all a funny story. 1990, uh, well, that would have been 99 is when I bought my first house. Um, that house was 1,100 mm -hmm. square feet. Yep. I, um, I'm from St. Louis, so where I'm from, you have basements, right? So the house had a basement, and um, it was 1,100 square feet. Three, it, how do you have a, it was a three-bedroom, two-bath. No, three-bedroom, one-bath. And so it was just my wife and and uh, and I had two daughters, right? So two of us, four of us living in the house, and I remember going out and buying furniture, um, and we bought a queen bed. It's like queen bed, dresser, um, you know, whatever. And so we get that stuff in the house, and we literally had to because uh, we didn't see it when we bought the furniture, but the furniture was so tight in the room. We had to walk in the room and kind of jump on the bed, mm -hmm. like it was it was that small. And then uh, y'all y'all were a little bit younger back in '99, but that was when the box TV came out. You remember that you had the, the uh, what they call it the uh, studio screen or what was that that they called it? The the when they came out with the square screen. Y'all know what I'm talking about? A widescreen TV. I had a widescreen 55 inch box TV. And that joint stuck out about two feet off the wall. 
And I mean, we're like going sideways. And we, but we lived there for five years and we've made it work. But that house became my first rental property. Yeah. It became my first rental property, it became income generating. So, you know, I'm, I'm saying that to anyone who, who's thinking like, oh, well, it's a, you know, houses cost too much. It's an investment. There is no investment that you can make. I, you can argue about the stock market, crypto, whatever it is that you think. But I see it on a regular basis, people buying houses and making money. Yeah. I helped uh, a family that was 20, they were 20 and 21 when they bought their house in, in 2019. Um, they bought a house in that DR Horton development in Bulk Springs. Mm -hmm. They sold it this summer and made a hundred thousand yeah. dollars. You tell me an investment that's gonna give you a hundred thousand yeah. dollars profit in a couple years. Not even not even a couple years, the same guy I'm talking about. We bought his house eighteen months ago. We were able to sell it and he walked away with thirty thousand dollars. After buying the house eighteen months ago. You know, the funny, the funniest story about somebody being unhappy about a house is I had a guy who bought a house. It was, it was, he was great dude, but he, uh, he called me like two weeks after he bought his house. He goes, John, I need to get pre-approved again. I need another house. I'm like, Hey sir, what, what, what were you talking about? What's wrong? He goes, it's snakes in my backyard. <laughs> and I was like, I said, man, we, we could get an exterminator. He was like, no, I don't deal with snakes. He sold that house uh, because of, I don't know what kind of snakes it was. We were trying to send exterminators. He didn't, he, he couldn't deal with it. That was about the weirdest story that I, yeah. I recall. But I, another client, earlier, actually earlier this year, they bought a house. Um, it was a couple that was moving in from, I believe, Baltimore. And they bought the house with another realtor. Um, in February and they moved in it and it was too close to a railroad track that was an active railroad track so they bought it in February they contacted me in March we put it on the market sold it in May and they made fifteen thousand dollars <laughs> yeah yeah so, I would say I had, I had a crazy story happen uh, you know someone wanting to they they almost wanted to leave the home. They ended up keeping it, but uh, they uh, uh, you know it was probably like I would say a couple of days before closing, and uh, they just went by their house to see it one last time, and it so happened to be on Juneteenth day, and so it was a whole bunch of people out in the street, you know, kind of celebrating, having a cookout or whatnot. He calls me, he's like, I don't know if this home's gonna work. We need to cancel the contract. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, there, there's people outside all the time. They're just having a ball. I got my kids and I'm like, okay uh, So I called a realtor and then she kind of goes over there has a look and you know sees what's going on and then kind of explains Hey, this is a one-day thing. So he's like, all right, I'm gonna go by there tomorrow And if, uh, if they're gone, then we'll get the house. So, you know, obviously it wasn't a holiday the next day So he went by and they ended up keeping the house. But yeah, that was that was, I, re I remember that story I want to I want to ask you guys um, uh, It's a you know how you guys got into the uh, mortgage industry, what you think so far. So, you know, uh, Dom and I met, Dom was an insurance agent, kind of supporting, you know, loan officers and realtors. And uh, a realtor that I know told him, you need to go see John Muhammad, right? Samaria you time. <laughs> shout, shout out to Samaria. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Samaria said, you need to go see John. And as soon as Dom walked into my office, I said, man, 
you didn't put that insurance stuff down, man. You yeah. didn't come work with me. I'm going to yeah. teach you how to be a loan officer. Yeah. And, uh, and sure enough, um, he did. And it's been a couple of years now. What's been your, um, you know, your highlights um, since you've been a loan officer? I would say, uh, you know, I just feel kind of blessed to be able to, you know, learn and, you know, learn from someone who's been in the business 20 years. I know you've been in the business 20 years and, you know, the purchase business, it's, you know, it's a different animal when it comes to lending and all other aspects, you know, it's a lot to know. And uh, I would say, you know, just feeling blessed to, you know, learn, to, you know, know the things that I know, um, you know, before, you know, with, the, with dealing with insurance. You know, I had no idea about earnest money and points, find out, you know, interest rates or, you know, MCCs, down payment assistance. You know, you just learn so much, uh, you know, being a loan officer. Um, and, you know, that I would say that's basically my highlight, just, you know, knowing what I know now and, you know, being able to learn and continue to, you know, get better at my craft. Excellent, excellent. Um, Cameron and I, we met uh, a couple years ago. I've known his mom for probably 15 years and we worked together throughout my career and and she told me about her son and that he wanted to be a realtor I think at that time you were in real estate school yeah and I called Cam I said hey man you know I want you to come work with me come you know we, we met and, and I think I was doing a home buyer seminar the first time we met yeah yeah, yeah we were doing a seminar at a hotel then Cam came and and uh, and sure enough, he uh, uh, got his mortgage license and started working with me. And so, you know, what's been your experience? What's some of the highlights and things that you deal with? You know, just coming to work every day and you know having the mindset that you're going to learn something new that day. Um, you know, and you learn something new every day, every right? Day. It's never a dull moment. And so with this every change of market, you know, you're learning how to adjust and how to pivot. You know, I come from a football perspective. So yes. I'm learning like, you know, kind of relating mortgages to football in terms of how I prepare, in terms of how I learn, in terms of how I take notes, you know, just kind of bringing that mindset to it. And also, like you said it earlier, you know, it's one of the best investments you can make as a person, you know, just, you know, like Steve talks about, you know, if you get annoyed with the neighbors, you can make 30 grand off them. You can yeah. make money in real estate. And so there's so many situations that I love about real estate that, you know, I'm excited to learn more about. Excellent, excellent, good. Steve, um, I know, tell me a little bit about uh, your your time. I, you have a banking background, you have a real estate background. Tell us a little bit about your years of experience. So, um, I actually started out in the financial service line. So I was into insurance, uh, investments and things of that nature, and then kind of slid into, kind of looked into banking and I was uh, on the banking side for about 12 years. Um, and then ended up meeting my business partner who helps run Refine Realty with me. Um, and, you know, we did some deals together and she encouraged me to get my real estate license. I'm not on real estate license. I'm, I'm moving up on, on the- on The, the corporate chart. The corporate yeah. chart. And then, you know, I got to the VP level and hit that glass ceiling. And um, so we, you know, start kind of dabbling, trying to get some secondary income and stuff like that. So start getting into flipping and things of that nature. And she's like, man, she just kept on me. It was about two or three years that she's like, man, you need to go get your real estate license. So I finally ended up getting it. So got my real estate license. Uh, didn't go really into full time. Just kind of doing the dabbling into it here and there. And then, you know, in about two and a half years, I'm starting making more money doing real estate on, on the side than I did at, in, in the bank. And then when I needed to make the transition back to Dallas, it was one of those things where I just could not get a job up with 
12 plus years of experience in banking, I couldn't even get a banking job, man. And it was one thing where I ended up, you know, got with a particular bank and got hired. Yeah. But it never gave me a start date. So that went on for two or three weeks. And at this time, my family's already up here. I'm traveling from Dallas to Houston almost on a weekly basis because my family's here. So I'm spending the weekend with them and then going back to Houston and working for the week. And I just got tired of that. And that went on for almost two two months while I was trying to find some place up here. So I finally had a conversation with my wife. I'm like, look, let's, let's, let's try this real estate thing. And it has been a blessing ever since. And every year it's been better than the other one. So um, then we start growing Refine Realty. Yes. Uh, my group's starting to get bigger. Uh, and it just, it's just been a blessing since. since it has, and, and uh, I've been able to see the journey, and it's hard to think that you've grown so fast. I mean, yeah. you guys have at Refine, how many agents? We have, we have 36 agents. 36 agents. Um, wow, that is, that's incredible. And, and um, you know, we've done it together. And I, I think when, when we met, I was kind of like a lone ranger. I might have had... <laughs> I may have had an assistant um, that was working with me. I know, I believe I did, but yeah. since then, uh, you know, first Dom and Cam coming aboard with me, and now, you know, I, I manage a branch here at Neighborhood Loans in Grand Prairie, and I think we have now about 12 loan officers uh, as a part of the branch, and, uh, you know, half full-time, half uh, part-time. But you know, it's just and it's just a pleasure to be able to grow. This is a great industry. I just someone asked me the other day, is like, what what else would you uh, would you do other than mortgages? And oh, the other thing I would do is be a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a chance to live that dream, right? Uh, you know, we 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 did it uh, at the Arlington Improv to do stand up this week. Was man, that was a dream come true. It was but, fun. I was so nervous, I don't think I can do that full-time. I'm going to stick with mortgages. But, you know, it is a, a highlight of, of my life to be able to help people get into homes, uh, to really sometimes even help people who don't believe that they can do it, and then to be able to teach what, what I know and what I've experienced in, in my lifetime is just like, it, it just, it's so fulfilling, and it doesn't feel like work. It's, right. it's, it's, it's fun every day. I'm up. Uh, early in the morning thinking about, you know, about the day and who I can help. So, um, any last thoughts from you guys? Any any other questions we can talk about, subjects that we need to... I have one last question yes. for Steve. So, uh, you know, I just heard about, you know, your growth. I, you know, wasn't even aware that you guys were growing that fast. So, what would you say, you know, for the real estate agents that are out there, you know, some of the keys to you know, growing your business and being successful in the real estate um, industry. So when I'm talking to anyone that specifically wants to get into real estate, real estate is really a people person business. Um, to be successful as a real estate person, you've got to be able to make relationships. Relationships, and I believe for me, the relationships that I've made, our relationship, the other relationships that I, I've been able to cultivate has contributed to my success. Mm -hmm. So. Um, again, you got to do the, the basic things to get your license and stuff like that, but they don't teach you how to run your business, yeah. how to go out there and connect with people. If you learn to connect with people and create good, meaningful relationships, you can be successful in this industry. Mm -hmm. okay. Balanced out my questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, is a, it, it is a relationship business. This is what we do. We 
um, those of us who are loan officers, we don't we don't uh, get leads. I think I'm gonna use this opportunity to to talk to the people who are watching about the different types of loan officers, mm -hmm. because loan officers aren't created equal. For sure, you cannot put me against a loan officer that works at a bank or works in a call center. They don't know what I know. They don't do what we do. Um, what does that mean? When you walk into a call center or you get into a call center environment, those loan officers don't generate business on their own. Their business is handed to them by the company that they work for. So they are like nine to fivers, right? They are on a clock. All right, guys, that was great. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you guys so much for participating in my very first episode of Talking Real Estate with John. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Talk to you later.